0: Tomorrow is Memorial Day. It is a day as a a country that we remember the many who have served in our military uh, throughout our history and have given their life that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have. So we remember on Memorial Day. We have monuments in our country that call us to remember. The Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington D.C. is such a monument that memorializes the ultimate sacrifice that was made by the men and women of our military. I would suggest to you that few of us could stand before that wall and read those 58,318 names and be unchanged? Would we not well up with gratitude? Would we not seek to live our lives today in light of the sacrifices that they have made? That's how Memorial Day operates. That is how monuments operate. Well, today we want to look at a monument. It's not a monument that has been erected in Washington, D.C. It is a monument that we see in the scriptures. It is a monument, in fact, that Jesus himself uses in Luke chapter 17 to teach us about being prepared for the final coming of the kingdom that necessarily will include final judgment. And so we'll be looking at a passage in Luke chapter 17 verses 28 through 33, I would encourage you to please go ahead and turn to Luke 17, but before I read that passage I will make Just a number of preliminary comments just to set the stage for us, uh, so to speak, so that we'll understand what Jesus is saying here. And of course, we're using this passage as we continue our sermon series on the dynamics of the Christian life through the story of John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. So the context of the passage that is before us today in Luke 17 is Jesus answering a question posed by the Pharisees and it's a question about the coming of the kingdom. Now the Bible teaches that the kingdom has already come. The kingdom has come inaugurated by Jesus' first coming to save sinners. So you and me and the Pharisees back then and all those who have lived since Jesus' first coming are living the time of the kingdom in the time of the already. The Bible also teaches that the kingdom has not yet come in full and the kingdom will come in full when Jesus returns a second time. To consummate all things, but also to judge the just and the unjust. So the kingdom has already come, but not yet in full. Now here's the point that I believe Jesus is making in Luke chapter 17 as he's speaking to the Pharisees about their question The time, the period of the already and not yet is the time to prepare. When the kingdom comes, it will come suddenly. It will come in a moment when the final stroke of history is made and Jesus returns. That is not the time to prepare. So we're living in the day of salvation being offered and by God's grace received and preparation being made for that final, ultimate coming of the kingdom when Jesus returns again. So this is is how Jesus answers in Luke 17 and verse 20. He says that the kingdom is not coming in full, I would add, in ways that can be observed. And see, the way Jesus answered that question, verse 20 tells us that the Pharisees were not concerned about the timing of the kingdom coming, but rather about the signs that would precede the coming of the kingdom so they could be prepared. And Jesus teaches that there will be no spectacular signs that will signal the coming of the kingdom it will come and it will be spectacular when it comes the text tells us that with a wonderful never foreseen ultimate light show will take place when Jesus comes a second time so that so when the kingdom comes there's no way in the world anybody's going to miss it but it will come Jesus says in the midst of everyone going about their normal life therefore today is the day to be wise today is the day to prepare for that sudden coming of the kingdom as Christ returns a second time so now if you would look at verse verses 28 through 32 of Luke 17 and I'll read those for us before I do let me pray our Father as we come to this passage today and as we look at a number of other scriptures I, I pray oh God the Holy Spirit that you'd be pleased to open Not only our minds, but more importantly, our hearts, that we would understand both in our mind and our heart what you would have for us here. And Father, I pray that you would be pleased to use me as your instrument to put forth that truth that has been revealed in the pages of Scripture. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So verse 28, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the house top With his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Remember Lot's wife. Remember that statue of salt that Carl read about. In Genesis chapter 19, it seems that Jesus is saying remembering Lot's wife is central to being prepared for the ultimate coming of the kingdom when Christ returns to consummate all things and to bring final judgment. Well, what is this monument of Lot's Wife, really, all about? Why is it central uh, to preparation? So, (coughs) excuse me. So, in the account of Genesis chapter 19, it seems as though Lot's wife is obedient. She turns from Sodom and Gomorrah and she runs. She is fleeing along with her husband and the rest of her family. So, it looks like she's obedient. She swinged the consequences of temporal judgment that rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. But what did she do? She stopped and she looked back. And it was that looking back that reveals her sin. And God brought about temporal judgment upon her. And she turned in to a salt pillar, a monument. to loving the world and loving sin more than God. The bottom line, Lot's wife had committed the sin of being covetous in her heart. And that little glance back just simply was a window into her heart, that she loved her life back in Sodom. And she longed for it. That is where her affections were. And so in Luke 17, we see Jesus saying the same thing and showing the same thing by the one who is on the housetop and the one who is in the field that when they are fleeing from judgment, they should not look back. They should not run down and gather up all their possessions that they cherish so much. They should not leave the field and run back home and gather up their family and their possessions that they love so much. Those who are prepared for judgment need to be willing to die to self, die to this world, die to sin in order to gain life, as Jesus says at the end of his teaching in verse 32 of chapter 17 of Luke. Guard your heart really is what is the lesson here for us. Guard your heart against loving those things of the world more than loving God. And so as Christian And hopeful are continuing their journey in Bunyan Story's Pilgrim Progress. They they come across this really strange uh, monument right by the side of the road so that no one could miss it. And inscribed on that was, remember Lot's wife. Same warning that Jesus gives in Luke 17. Don't look back, coveting the things of this world as you flee to Christ now before we come down too hard on Lot's wife who did look back don't we struggle with looking back and so we have we have fled we've we've been shown grace and mercy so that we could flee the judgment and the consequences of judgment by God uniting us to Christ and saving faith, so we have fled to Christ, right, and we are journeying on the Christian life in Christ and that temporal judgment that simply pictures the ultimate judgment that is to come that rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah will not touch us because we are in Christ, but don't we struggle to love God more than our money? Don't we look back at that old life or maybe that favorite sin and there's a sense of longing there. Isn't it difficult for us to keep the kingdom of God first as we journey? Our affections can so easily be upon the things of this world. And so here's really the lesson is that we can turn from sin and flee to Christ while our hearts are still looking back, while our hearts still have affection for the things of this world and even. The, the favorite sins that we have. And so, really the lesson here in Luke 17 and the lesson that we have in this particular part of Pilgrim's Progress and in this message today is guard your heart by not looking back as you are fleeing uh, to Christ. So I just want to look at three lessons that, that we find about being prepared for the judgment that is to come, we've kind of set the stage in Luke chapter 17, and also looking a little bit at Pilgrim's Progress. But in Bunyan's story, Christian and hopeful, after passing through Vanity Fair, they encounter this fellow by the name of By Ends, and By Ends have he has companions, and basically By ins and his companions are hypocrites. They use religion for selfish and worldly gain. And then after their encounter with buy-ins and their conversations, that by the way are very instructive, so I would encourage you to read those in Pilgrim's Progress, they face two dangers. And one one danger is the valley of ease. I don't know about you, but sometimes when life seems to be going well, life is trouble-free, we can become complacent spiritually We can kind of lose the urgency to turn from sin and follow uh, Christ. We let our guard down. We can even forget how much we need Jesus every day. The Valley of Ease can be a very dangerous place for the believer. But also a dangerous place is the Hill of Looker, which simply that term looker means gaining money in dishonest and sinful uh, ways so we find that that poor hopeful Christian's companion on this journey was enticed by this fellow by the name of Demas who had a silver mine and he asked for Christian and hopeful to come over and To look at all the wonderful and marvelous things down in his silver mine. This is the same Demas, by the way, that is in 2 Timothy 4 and verses 9 through 11. That was Paul's companion who abandoned Paul and Christ because he loved the world more. And so this Demas there with his silver mine is tempting Christian and hopeful and hopeful wants so much to look in that mind and to avail himself of the treasures within but Christian rebukes Demas, Christian rescues his fellow companion, his, his companion from that, that terrible mistake and they continue on with their journey. But remember buy-ins and his companions that were also on this journey but are those who use religion for selfish and worldly gain. They also come to the silver mine. And they buy into what Demas says. And they, they come into the silver mine, look in, and they're never seen on the journey again. And the point is simply this. Destruction is the destiny for those who prefer the things of this world over the treasures of heaven. And so Christian and hopeful leave the hill of Lucre and they immediately come to this this strange monument, this pillar out of salt in the form of a woman that is strategically placed right by the roadside so that no one can miss it. And on it is that inscription, remember Lot's wife, and both of them conclude this must be memorializing the events of Genesis chapter 19 when Lot's wife sinned and turned around and looked. And So Christian takes this as a, as a sensible site that will be of help in the future, but hopeful experiences sorrow over this monument because he remembers how close he came to destruction under the enticement and temptation of Demas and the silver mine. And he's sorrow, he's sorrowful for his foolishness and he says this, let grace be adored and let me be ashamed that ever such a thing should be in my heart. Each one of us here who are in Christ have likely sinned like Lot's wife and have experienced the sorrow of hopeful over remembering how foolish we were to buy into that temptation with regards to worldliness and sin left to our own devices we would continually look back and fall and stumble off the path that is set before us to the celestial city. We would be left to our own devices like Bayan's and his companions. But there's one thing that saves us and keeps us from coming under that, that condemnation, from coming under that falling and stumbling off the path into destruction. And that is God's grace. And Paul speaks about the centrality of God's grace in his own life in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You know, the saying that, but for God's grace, there go I, really does have some truth to it, doesn't it? I just shudder to think where I would be today apart from God's grace. I might be a monument on the roadside, a memorial to what happens to people who rebel against God. I might be the one who simply didn't gaze down into the silver mine, but like by ins and his companions went into the silver mine because of my affections for the things of this world were greater than my affection uh, for God. And so as we prepare for the coming of the kingdom in full at the end of the age, our response to God's grace must be one of gratitude. And we must see that it is God's grace that we must embrace and on which we must rely. Now the second thing I want to talk about today is the fact that Christian Hopeful saw this monument by the wayside and for Hopeful at least, it points out just how central grace was in his life. You know, why in Hopeful's mind, why did he not suffer the same fate as Lot's wife? He looked back, didn't he? But he didn't suffer that condemnation because of grace. But we see that this monument by the side of the road, the monument that was erected in Genesis 19, the monuments that we find in Numbers 16 and 26 regarding Korah's rebellion and the 250 who were his co-conspirators and the monument that we see in Genesis 6 and 7 with with the flood where God wiped out but for eight humanity because of sin that we see these memorializing disobedience and rebelling they serve as warning signs for us today to prepare for the judgment that is to come. Now, God is patient, and God has promised a final judgment, but He's patient for the purpose of His elect being saved. But we see in passages like 2 Peter 3, verses 9 through 10, Romans 9, verse 22, and I'll read this passage as an example, Romans 2, verses 4 through 5, that God's patience will not last forever. So, Romans 2, 4 through 5. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance but because of your hard and impenitent heart you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God is postponing judgment to save but yet today in this Period of the already and not yet, the time of salvation and preparation. If we ignore either salva- the offer of salvation or we ignore to rightly prepare, we are storing up wrath, Paul says. For God's righteous judgment will be revealed, it will come. He promises it. So these warning signs must be heeded, they must be taken seriously. If we are committing sin, refusing to turn and flee to Christ and not look back, we are presuming upon God's grace. If we do not heed the warning signs that we see in the scriptures about this is the day of salvation, turn to Jesus and turn from your sin, and this is the day of preparation, be mindful of storing up treasures in heaven. If we do not heed these warning signs, these monuments, these memorials in Scripture, we are living like a fool who says, there is no God, Psalm 14, 1. And we're living like someone who is totally unconcerned about the coming judgment that will rain down upon us. So on the day of judgment, then, no one can say, I was not warned. Like that that pillar that Christian and hopeful experience right there by the wayside. So God's word warns us. God is patient that His elect will come to salvation, but God's patience will not last forever. His judgment will come. These monuments are clearly before us. And the third point is that these warning signs operate like a monument to cause us to remember that we must guard our hearts uh, today. Lot's wife outwardly was obeying God. She was fleeing the judgment that was raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah, but she was not at all safe from judgment, was she? In her heart, she had turned from God and our looking back just simply shows that reality outwardly. This matter of turning from God in our hearts, I believe, is the most crucial thing with regards to guarding our hearts. It is so easy for us to look like we are loving God when in our hearts we are loving sin. We are loving the things of this world? In Matthew 6, Jesus says, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. I believe the Christian life is fundamentally about the heart, about the inner man as Paul says in Ephesians 3. And the monument, remember Lot's wife, calls us to be mindful not of our outward actions, but primarily to be mindful of our heart condition. We may be subject to judgment while fleeing the consequences of judgment if we don't carefully guard our hearts. Ken Pulse, who wrote a a guide to studying Pilgrim's Progress, said this, Though her, that is Lot's wise, feet, carried her away from destruction, her heart plunged her into the pit. He says further, we must flee sin at all cost. We must flee sin in our hearts and with our eyes and ears as well as with our hands and feet. We must not assume that because we are fleeing the consequences of sin, we are safely beyond the reach of sin in our hearts. Now, didn't Jesus use hyperbolic language in passages like Matthew <coughs> excuse me, uh, Matthew 18 to show just how seriously we should take this matter of fleeing from sin in our hearts. There in Matthew 18, we'll not turn there and read it, but he basically says this, if your hand causes you to sin, what does he say? Cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, what does he say? Tear it out. Uh, Jesus is not saying that we need to actually do that physically. But what he, what he is showing is how serious we need to take turning from sin in our heart. What he is saying is how serious it is to turn and look back with a heart that longs for that old life those worldly treasures those favorite sins and before you know it we've turned and looked back and now we've turned and we're running back because in our heart We have turned from loving God more than anything else. And Jesus says, listen, my disciples, you need to take seriously your heart and that sin in your heart. You can be under judgment while fleeing the consequences of judgment. You can be as one under judgment as you're making this journey in Christ. Now I said earlier that we're in Christ, that judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, that temporal judgment that pictures the final judgment will not touch us and it will not. But how foolish are we if we're in Christ and safe as can be from judgment and yet we play around with sin and live as one under judgment. And so we take sin seriously. And then Jesus says this, you know, we've been talking today about the coming of the kingdom, the final coming of the kingdom at Jesus' second coming. And when Jesus comes again, he will consummate all things, and necessarily judgment will be rained down. And Jesus said, It is better off for one to enter heaven with only one hand and one eye than to experience the wrath of God. Don't look back. Memorial Day and our monuments calls us to remember the sacrifices that have been made that we might live in freedom today. And there are greater monuments and memorials than even the ones we have in this country, and the monuments and memorials that are found in Scripture that call us to remember the once-for-all sacrifice that was made on the cross for God's elect, that they would find ultimate freedom from sin and Satan and death. And then in light of these memorials in Scripture, we should remember to be grateful for God's grace that saves us and keeps us. From the condemnation that Lot's wife experienced, that we would remember to heed the warnings before us that we might live today in light of that future day when Christ returns in judgment, and that we might remember to live today a life of salvation, Maybe the case for some of you here today that really haven't turned from your sin and trusted in Christ. If that, if that describes you today, if you are not sure about your relationship with Jesus, and maybe you really are here and you're here because of some other reason than to worship God, but you really haven't thought much about Jesus, you're kind of unconcerned about. This final day that is to come. From my heart, I want to say to you, dear, dear friend, I'm glad that you're here, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to turn from your sin and flee to Christ, who says, For all those who truly turn from sin and flee to me in faith, I will receive, and my grace will save you and keep you. For most of us here today, we we know Jesus, and we just need to be reminded that it is grace that keeps us. It is grace that changes us. It is grace that enables us to truly guard our hearts. Hearts from looking back. Today is a day of preparation as well as salvation. And ultimately, this means preparing and being prepared in our hearts. And Paul says in Romans 6, 17 through 18, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient Listen, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would pour out your grace and mercies upon us. I pray for those who might be here today who are unsure about their relationship with you who might be in fear of the judgment to come. And Father, I would pray that you'd be pleased to work your saving grace in that person's life. I pray for those here today who know Jesus and love him, and Father, if those are like me, we struggle so with looking back, and I pray, oh Father, that your grace might so work in us. That, that our hearts would be guarded, and that our love would be placed and fixed upon you. And so we trust you to work in Jesus' name. Amen.